Welcome everyone to day 14 of 7am novelist March March writing challenge. Good morning. I know it's dark. It's rainy. Henriette Lazaridis is super happy about this. Okay, I'm not really happy about it, but I'm going with it. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. Today, again, we hear from the wonderful Henriette Lazaridis, and she's going to talk to us about solving literary problems with non-literary forms. Good morning, Henriette. Good morning. Morning, Henriette Lazaridis novel Terra Nova was called ingenious and provocative. No, not provocative. 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 See, it's too early. I can't talk. By the New York Times. I would also call it ingenious because I've read it and I, I, I would agree with the New York Times. Her debut novel, The Clover House, was a Boston Globe bestseller and a Target emerging author's pick. Her short work has appeared in publications including Elle, Forge, Narrative Magazine, The New York Times, New England Review, The Millions, and elsewhere, and has earned her a Massachusetts Cultural Council Artist Grant. Henriette earned degrees in English literature from Middlebury College, Oxford University, where she was a Rhodes Scholar, and the University of Pennsylvania. She teaches at Grub Street in Boston and runs the Karuna Writing Workshop in Greece. Calimera. 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 I've been studying Greek, everyone, and it's very, very bad, but Henriette actually knows Greek. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. Okay. Solving literary problems. We all have them. They're running us over. <laughs> um, how you're Now, you're going to be giving us some non-literary solutions, and I'm assuming that some of these non-literary solutions involve rowing paddles no something athletic something. no no and they're oars not paddles oh, oars. But, um, please please um but no no see this is the th i mean that's a that's i do find that um when you're stuck with a writing problem i think we all know this like getting out of your head getting up and going for a walk or i heard you talking about tracy hon burkett's shower thing which i often use as, as an example of like how to maximize your time and find those moments when your brain is not engaged with the words. So I do find that engaging your body in whatever way can help you solve a problem. But I'm also like what I wanted to talk about are other non-physical but non-verbal or non-literary solutions that like you could do sitting down at your desk. Because um, I, I always believe that I think I find it very hard to solve a problem of words with words. Like yeah. it seems like trying to clean your mudroom with mud. I don't understand how you could do it. So I, another way of like getting out of my head is to step out of the words of the manuscript and try to think about it in a different mode. Mm -hmm. um, and so, I mean, I have like all these different things that I have tried and used and found helpful that I'm happy to just sort of yes. go through. Like, like yeah, like, I mean, for, so in orders of going from more normal to stranger, um, <laughs> I mean, we know about plenty of novelists have written and drawn maps that we use as the reader you know like the lord of the rings has that beautiful map on the fly leaf if i'm remembering correctly i was never a big lord of the rings person but i know there's a map in there um or think of i mean this is they're all children's books um Pooh corner um a mill like there's that beautiful drawn map but plenty of fantasy novels will draw the map for you and so 
at some point, obviously, the author has conceived of the map as a way to understand the town, the community, the city, wherever it is that the novel is taking place. And I think that can be helpful, um, especially if you have a novel that takes place in a very specific community. I'm thinking there isn't a map for, oh, no, there is. Ted Drury's The End of Vandalism, which is one of my favorite novels, does have a map of Grafton County, his fictional county for, for the novel. Nice. In the, in the in the beginning, he also has a list of characters at the end, which is just lovely. Um, I highly recommend this book. But uh, so there's that, you know, sort of if you're in the middle of something and you're trying to be Faulkner and you're thinking, hold on a second, I need to draw Yoknapatawpha County so that I can see where people are in relation to each other. There's that, and I think that can be helpful. Because I remember I took a I took a class with the great Lynn Barrett. She's such an incredible teacher and she teaches really? a lot. And the first thing she had us do is to draw a map. And so it was a class for mysteries in particular. Mm. Um, and how do you, you can't make sense of the mystery or make sense of what has happened unless you actually have a map of the scene. So she had us draw the map of wherever around the, the crime happened or the mystery happened. So that could be the town, the house. And it was really wonderful in terms of just making clear that place. And I do think, again, it gets you away from the the mud of words that you might otherwise be stuck in and yeah. you'll, see that, you'll see that in a lot of mysteries i think in a lot of agatha christie mysteries she actually provides a map um so yeah so that's interesting very, yeah well and because so much if you do start mapping things then then you might see oh you know if i've got my character over here next to the river well, now what possibilities does that open up for me? Like, what does it mean if she's over there and the other person is over here? Another thing that you can do, and it's, I'm skipping, I have a list, but I'm, I'm gonna jump right to this. This is one of the stranger ones. This has worked for me. It's a kind of mapping that isn't geographical and it's a storytelling that's not chronological necessarily either. So what helps sometimes is to map spatially the relationship between and among your characters over the course so it is chronological over the course of the novel so something that has worked for me is i grab a bunch of coffee mugs it doesn't have to be coffee mugs but i had many and i've done this and you label them with post-it notes so you give each mug the identity of a character in your novel and then you put them on your table in relation to each other. Not, and again, now we're not talking geography. We're talking who is allied with whom, let's oh. say at the beginning, these people are a community together. This person is the outsider. So we'll put him over there. And then like, take a picture of that layout. And then, okay, next phase of the novel how have things changed are these people estranged okay so this mug is going to go over here and maybe this one's come closer take a picture then move on so that you can see how are your characters connections to each other changing over the course of the novel how are their relationships to being insiders or outsiders how are they changing so you you map it but it's not in a specific geography it's in the kind of inside outside or connection to each other spatial relationship that you're creating and i find this 
to me helps a lot because I can sit there with my pad of paper and I can talk to myself in writing, which I do a lot. And I can ask myself questions. How does a relationship to her sister change and what is happening here and blah, 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 blah. But if I, that's like working with the mud. It's like trying to clean my shoes with mud. If I'm stuck, if I look at it spatially, I'm like, okay, Sophie's here, Corky's there. And then later they're going to be like this. That helps me. I love that. So if you're seeing that there's not much movement in those relationships, you know, this, there's a problem, right? Right. 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 Imagine if you were going from like beginning one quarter, second quarter, like different phases of the novel and nothing was changing. That's a problem. You might notice that, for instance, your little community of four or five mugs is moving in relation to the other mug. Maybe these guys aren't changing. Maybe they're bonded tight. But then that's exciting because maybe it means that later on there's going to be a sort of and the mugs are all going to spread spread apart. But it does help you see how your story is failing or succeeding, but not with words, because right. you just can't. You can't. There's a, there's limits, I think, to what you can solve if you're still using the same tool that has created the problem. Yeah, yeah. And making it visual, I think, is so important. And I think also with that sort of thing, you'd be able to see the arcs of the changing relationships. So so do you sometimes, because I'll sometimes see in novels, you know, um, I, I might have the two cups really close together um, for one scene, and then the next scene, they're far apart. And then the next scene, they're close together and far apart. And that's going to make a kind of episodic kind of, pro- it could be problematic if you're just- exactly. Like, back and forth like that. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's why I say do this and you're almost creating a kind of weird stop motion animation because you take pictures. I have them somewhere in my computer from, from other times I've done this. Um, But you take the pictures and then you sort of sit back and you look at them in sequence and you can see it like a little movie of the connections of your work in progress. And you can see how this is playing out. And it just helps to be outside the yeah. word of the story. Um, and not everyone is a spatial person. I think I must be a spatially oriented person and a visually oriented person. So it might not be that helpful for everybody, but it's worth, I think it's worth giving a try, um, giving it a try. An- another thing I find helpful is to, and this is more because I don't have this tool at my disposal, but a more of a mental thing is to think about um, the infra, if you were to do an infrared map of your novel, where would you overlay? Where are the red spots? Where are the, like now today with this storm, we know how the the radar map has all the different colors and we're all hoping we're not gonna be in that dark red patch that has two feet of snow. Some of us are hoping we will, but, um, <laughs> but you know, if you could map that, where are the hot parts of your story? Where are the cold parts of your story? Are, should they be cold? Uh, because not everything should be at the same temperature because then that too is boring, right? You have no, yeah. it's like, or, or do it as a topographical map. And if you are doing, if you were laying over your story, the contours of topography and you found that everything was at the same elevation, now you have a plateau and that's, you can't have a whole novel be a plateau that defies novel 
Um, so you would want to think about, you can think about it as an elevation map. Mm-hmm. And, and I say, think about it, like, but also like draw it, get yeah. a piece of paper out and draw it. And I know people will do, they'll map out the arc of the tension and people have spreadsheets that they use. So this is a, another, I think, helpful way to chart the, the rising and falling tension. Um, I guess I'm taking it a little step off in a different direction by calling it a sort of an elevation map, because then for me, it helps me think about it as a physical object that is not a book. Yeah. See what I mean? If I, if I map it as a tension chart, well, tension in relation to what? Storytelling. Oh, we're still in the land of novels. We're still dealing with a novel. If I map it as elevation, it's a landmass. It's a mountain or a valley. And then I can think about it differently, if that makes sense. I'm not thinking, I haven't created a novel. I'm not stuck in the novel. I'm now on a mountain or in a valley. And I think too, you say, well, I have, I I think spatially, I think visually, but I think however you think, if you really are a highly, highly verbal person, I would actually recommend even trying some of these things to force yourself kind of out of your comfort zone. Because when we get stuck in our novels and we live inside our novels for so long and we're beginning to feel crazy because of it, um, you really need to step outside of it and make it unfamiliar to you or defamiliar that's the process that you want so whatever you can do the mapping the mirror anything that creates a mirror to what's happening that's a completely new way of looking at it and a new way that that you're used to looking at it I think can be really helpful yeah I that's why I think like exactly like these things of like taking physical objects and putting name tags on them or using like get a contour map out and you know you're right like using actual objects that get you away from the laptop or the piece of paper where you're writing your 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 words. Yeah, I think people I think resist that's it. Really people resist it. I've seen and I'm like, yeah. try. And then yeah. and then people normally have some more fun. Yeah. Because yeah. I think it can be, it does the same thing that getting up and going for a walk can do. Yes. Um, because too, it it will occupy your brain in a way that is that sort of partial occupation that they say is what makes walking so productive for the creation of ideas because you're able to you you have to concentrate on moving on not falling on your face on the sidewalk um but you are also freeing up your mind to do that kind of background thinking um that that i think the busy work almost of labeling something or drawing a sketch or taking a picture like that kind of physical work can free up your brain in certain other ways um i just thought of something else that i wanted to to mention and it just went right through that brain of mine um Uh, well (laughs) yeah why don't we so in the chat just to kind of go back to this we have some questions Uh, one of our listeners when you map like this what are you looking for what's the goal that's a really good question. So um, <laughs> that is the question. Um, I think I'm looking for moments when things don't change for a very long time. 
Um, so as we were saying before, if the mugs, I'm going to keep using the, you know, the, if the labeled mugs all stayed together and there was never a moment of either movement in relation to some other character mug or in relation to each other, that would tell me like, mm, that's a problem. Nothing's really happening. Um, or, you know, thinking about if you have, if you're starting your novel and there's a sense of, I think somebody said this once and it was a great phrase and I can't remember who, you might know who says it, Michelle, um, a, a, um, an unstable equilibrium or some sort of oxymoron like that, but that, that a novel, you want a novel to begin with an unstable equilibrium, which obviously the ground situation. Yeah. Yeah. Unstable ground situation isn't an oxymoron though. Right. But yeah, but it's like, there's an equilibrium that's really a false equilibrium. So, but if you're, you're beginning with your, um, with your characters in a sort of, we'll call it a community, but it, it doesn't have to be actually a social community. And immediately I'm thinking, okay, there's going to be a movement. There's going to be a movement from inside to outside. Mm-hmm. Whether there's going to be, you know, maybe you're telling your story in a town from which the stranger will go on a journey. Maybe there is an actual physical movement, but in some way you're going to begin with people who are connected and either one of them is going to become disconnected or someone is going to come in and create a new connection. And there's the change, right? I feel like there's only one story in the world, not two, because stranger goes on a journey is the same story as person comes into town. It's just reversed. Mm -hmm. But what's constant is that movement. So to get back after my long winded peroration there to get back to the question, I think if you saw that you wanted there to be a change. I want there to be something coming in from the outside or something going out from the inside. And you look at your mugs and like, that doesn't happen. Yeah. Mugs are staying pretty much like here. Nobody leaves. Nobody comes in. That would be your time to say, hold on a second. What, what, what's happening? How, How is this world that I'm creating actually altering? Yeah. How is there a change? So I like to, I mean, that's another one where like, I'll draw a map, but it's not a geographical map. I've, I've, well, there's two things to say about this. I'll draw sort of the shape of, of my novel. So not using the labeled mugs on the, on the dining table, but actually drawing, you know, a big circle and putting everybody in there and then trying to figure out like, who's going out, who's going this way who's coming in and 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 if one person's going out i kind of feel like okay if if something goes out something else has to come in yeah and it helps me see that Hmm. like yeah like shouldn't like think about it at least should there be something coming in should there be the counter energy Hmm. in your novel if one person is expelled let's say is there something that comes in what is it? Is it a person? Is it a change in this person over here? But, but it helps you see that kind of, and I don't know why I'm doing it as a diagonal, but it does feel like there's that inherent, like we're going up, we're coming in. Um, awesome. Yeah. 
overall what you're really looking for. So I love that kind of, yeah, if someone comes in, you've created a hole, so something new needs to, or if someone leaves, you've created a hole, so something new will need to come in. But overall, you're looking for movement and change. And movement you're and change. Movement and change by chapter and hopefully even by scene um, so that those scenes have consequence, so that there is, there, there are turning points, they're, they're, they're doing something for you instead of just having things happen. Right. Yeah. You don't want that. And then, and then, and then it's not beads on a necklace. You can't be just like threading beads on a necklace. Yeah. That's not going to work. Yeah. There has to be. And the other thing, so I, this, I have never done this, but it is my fantasy of creating. I once, I wrote up this really complicated grant proposal for something once where I was going to teach this thing. I was going to do an engineering project and it was going to be like, oh, I was so excited. I, someone should do this. I feel like it would be possible to build a Rube Goldberg machine of a novel. I mean, if you look at Rube Goldberg machines right now that are fascinating to watch, they are just, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then. There's no, it doesn't necessarily, I, I suppose someone could be out there who is a true artist of the Rube Goldberg machine who creates you know, a climax and a grand finale. But um, yes, uh, Judy, you can help me build this machine. But <laughs> but it feels to me like if you could build a Rube Goldberg machine and design it to mimic the novel you were trying to write, it would help you solve problems because you could think about like, okay, so now I have my unstable equilibrium. So what have I got? I've got like, and I'm going to invent this. Like I've got all these marbles in a bin and in that bin, there's a little hole. So that's the unstable equilibrium. One of the marbles is going to fall out and now it's going to roll. And where's it going to go? And then, oh, now we have all the dominoes falling. That kind of, you could shape it so that it would mimic the beginning of a novel with like quick scenes in quick succession. And then, and then what would you do? Like, what would your next step be? How would you translate the novel that you wish to write into a Rube Goldberg machine? I think I actually think that works quite well because it, there is a cause and effect in the machine. And I think the problem is when you have scenes that are just and then and then and then you're simply having things happen, but they're not affecting the next and they're not affecting the next and they're not affecting the next. So actually thinking of it that way is, is I think, really quite strong. So when we think about movement and change. Um, someone in the chat said an emotional map. So the, the movement and change can be emotional. It can be um, changes in relationships with the characters. Mm -hmm. It can be change in pitch or uh, height of action even. Mm -hmm. I think of other sorts of change. And you can, if you build a map, like, okay, I think my book is weak on this sort of movement and change. I'm feeling I'm feeling like it's, it's happened, that you could focus a map on that particular um, type of movement and change that you want to trace and create whatever map that you need to 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 trace that. Right. And, and I want to make, there are like two other things I wanted to get to. And one is just like, I, and students who take my classes hear me use these metaphors and mix them and mangle them all the time. But you want to, I, I do think it helps to think about like, you're loading a spring. Sometimes you're loading a spring. You're just compressing, 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 and then you got to wait for when are you going to release that spring? Sometimes it's that kind of motion and it's useful to think, okay, where am I doing that? Um, sometimes you're inflating a balloon and it's going to pop and that's different. 
Mm. So it can help you think about a scene like, do I have a spring loading scene here or do I have a balloon popping scene? Um, and, and sometimes you're, um, you're using a lever. You, know, you have a fulcrum and a lever. And this, these are all things that would occur in a Rube Goldberg machine. But, that, but sometimes it is, it's like, mm, you've got something that's just gonna pry the next thing out. So you can look at the scenes that you've written and think what kind of scene are they? And I think you're right, Michelle, to talk about, you know, what if, if you're always doing levers, always levers, yeah, does that become, machine, yeah. does that's that true. become monotonous? Does that mean that you're getting the same quality of tension? And yeah. is that useful to you? Um, and I'm looking at the clock too. I wanna make sure this, this is a thing that I'm fairly passionate about. Again, students who've taken classes with me are gonna know, but and, and I know you're talking about the murky middle yesterday a little bit with Hank Philippi Ryan. Yeah. And I, my thing, and I'm gonna mix metaphors here, but I have two things that I like to say, and this is the nonverbal stuff about getting through the murky middle. And one is like, you don't, if you're me, you're like, oh my God, panic, it's the middle. I gotta go shopping for plot. <laughs> and run to the grocery store as if a nor'easter is coming and you're like i need plot i need plot and you're like in that top chef thing where they run to this to the pantry and they start filling up their baskets but the truth is you don't need that's the thing you don't need to go to the store it's yeah. already in your pantry you already there in, you put it in the beginning of your novel yeah and here's the other this is why i'm mixing metaphors i find music to be for me, it's key. It's the nonverbal way for me to think about my novel and to be reminded of generically, like of what what I want. Well, it's weird to say any novel because they're all so different, but but the kind of tension that I want to create. So if you think of in Western music, which is what I know, um, so this may be different in Eastern music, but most Western music at the two thirds mark of the duration of the piece, there is a change. They're just, it, it's, it's fascinating. Um, you can do the calculation ahead of time and be prepared. Like what's gonna happen at three minutes in, in this four minute song, or that's bad math, but <laughs> four minutes into the six minute song. Um, and you'll hear that this is where things become richer, louder, denser, more complicated. And what's fascinating and a good reminder and a teacher is that in that moment when the music becomes more complicated, which is at the very end of the murky middle, mm -hmm. what you're hearing are elements of music that have been present in the very beginning. It yeah. was all there. It is not something that is being added into the piece by the composer for that purpose only it was there from the beginning and the examples i love are as short as the beautiful piece in in finding nemo it's like a minute and a half long when when um the egg is is it's called egg if you can find it um it's a minute and a half long and at the two-thirds it becomes this brilliant beautiful rich set of chords it's thomas newman he can do no wrong um it's a good reminder of like, oh, when I get to the middle of my piece, what I'm doing, my piece, my, my novel, what I'm doing is taking the elements that I put in the beginning and making them more and more complicated and richer and denser. I don't need to run to the store and go buy some plot. 
I had it. And if you don't have it, then you have to go back and take a look at your beginning and say, mm, I need to, I need to make that beginning have a little more latent energy that I can use in the. In right. The but lots of times our subconscious gives us those things as we're drafting. So there will, there will yeah. be something in those early pages that you maybe haven't made enough use of yeah. uh, and need to make louder. But, but for the most part, it'll probably be there. So it could be an object. It could be a relationship. It could be um, uh, a, a word of conversation. Um, yep. It could be an event. Um, it could be, you know, any, anything that you can escalate um, and then change and move. Um, you can go back and plant it, but I would, I would hope that I would first advise to try to find it might already be in there because right. going back to plant it kind of feels like going to the grocery store. Yeah, 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 I agree. Chances are it is already there. And I, I've done that with like when after paying attention to this, I was like, well, let me see, what did I do two thirds of the way through the Clover House? Two thirds of the way through the Clover House is the part where I remember when I was writing, it, I was like, oh, they can't just go to another parade and carnival. They've got to go someplace and they cross the bridge and they go across. And that's two thirds of the way through the book. Nice. And yeah, it's just like you, I did it on, uh, by accident on purpose. Um, and we have another question. Counting the number of pages devoted to a character or set in a place or time can be helpful too. Are there enough or too many? I guess that's not really a question. But yeah, I mean, I do think, again, you can even do like a numerical um, something, however you want to do it, that represents your book in some way that you're not used to looking at your book. Right, um, right. Helpful, yeah. Right. Um, and you might find in some of this mapping, again, some of those early seeds that your subconscious planted that you can continue and explode at that two thirds point. Um, yeah. Really wake you up out of that, out of that muddled middle. All right, Henriette, we're going to have to go. I need to get these folks to the writing desk. Um, everyone, you can find our full March writing challenge schedule on our Substack page at 7amnovelist.substack.com. You can um, subscribe there for updates and taking part in the conversation. You can also find the podcast version of these webinars on any of your favorite podcast platforms. And if you like what we're doing, please follow, rate, and review our podcast so that we can reach other listeners. Okay, Henriette, you've been up really early this morning, earlier than most of us. Are you going to be able to get some more writing done today? Yeah, after I teach my class, my novel in progress class. Fantastic, fantastic. Okay, everyone. Good luck with your writing today, and let's get you back to your desk. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, everyone. <laughs>